From WBME. Welcome back to Late to the Party, a side quest called A Christmas Peril. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, I am your dungeon master this week, Scott Nicewander. I play all of the characters that aren't these characters of the people who are also here. Who wants to go first? Hi, I'm Ethan Etchill. I play the character of Kensington Chalet, private detective, master sleuth, and guy who doesn't believe in ghosts. Hi, I'm Tyler Doobie, and I'm playing Marion Blossom Ashwim, a hopeless romantic who, yeah, romance, <laughs> romance, romance in, in love quotations. With someone, in love with someone that maybe you can't have. Ugh, who knows? You don't have to remind me. Hello, my name is Jordan Balky. I am playing uh, Sister Marguerite, a nun of the Church of St. Shelley, and I am... Um, I'm currently seeking some funds to uh, replace those that I lost to purchase gifts for all the little children. And I'm Camille Leonard, coming to you with another bad bee, Tilia Castle Rock, who is, you know, a petite blonde socialite, but at night a secret ghost hunter. Love it. We last left our hunters for hire. You name your price, he is willing to pay. After a lot of, like, frowning and just, like, clenching his teeth, he's willing to let go of the money that Kensington needs to pay off his gambling debts and start a little fresh. He is able to pay Tilia Castle Rock for a good amount of money to potentially get her own place away from her family, set up some some shop away, get some independence. And he very begrudgingly agrees to give a generous tithe to the church so that Sister Marguerite's can get those toys back on very short notice. Or not get them back, but buy them in the first place. Buy them at all, yes. So you are all now employed by Ebenezer Scrooge to hunt ghosts. As you negotiate all of this and you wrap up that, uh, Scrooge does hammer in one more time that you do you must bring back evidence that you've destroyed these ghosts or else i how can i trust you that won't be a problem seeing as without a doubt your haunting will happen here yes well i still need some kind of physical evidence he fully does not understand how ghosts work i don't think they're real How how does how do the people who don't know what ghosts are react to all of this information that you're being hired to hunt ghosts now? Marianne just thinks this is easy money because if she can pretend, oh, I killed the ghosts. Yeah, Kensington. This is not the first time he's been hired to hunt ghosts. So, <laughs> but they always turn out fake on his end. Huh? They always turn out to be fake. You know. Uh, there's yeah there's never a real ghost behind it it's usually a a family member or a jilted ex-lover sister marguerite's a little bit concerned about the whole proof thing but she also knows that like especially if she does get like if she does in some way find proof of there being a ghost and then banishing a ghost because you know ghosts would be bad in the catholic church that it might also help her 
like rise in status and stature in the church of like, oh, this this wonderful nun also vanquished ghosts and uh, something like that. So there's like concern, but but more than anything, she's like, this is going to be easy to swindle this old man out of his money. Tilia is wishing for the times when it was just she and Catherine fighting ghosts as she's much better company than these idiots. Uh, so while you're all negotiating all the prices and everything and, and getting that, talking about evidence, a fellow drops in to Scrooge's home. The, the door opens and you hear a fellow answer and he goes, Uncle, Uncle, are you here? And he walks into the room with you all. And this man is rugged and handsome with sparkling eyes. He clearly walked over here very briskly and is kind of glowing from from like being in the fog. And, and you know, he just looks great. Can I nudge Tilly and be like, you know, that one's not bad. So, yeah, this rugged man walks in. And uh, actually, Tilly, you do know this person. Ooh. This young man, as he calls out for his uncle, is Scrooge's nephew, Fred. Fred is also quite wealthy, so you may have seen him at uh, some dinner parties from each other's families, on kind of the wealthy side of the neighborhood. Mm. He just recently got married to his lovely wife, Clara. He's not as rich as the Castle Rocks. Castle Rocks are old money. Fred has some, like, kind of inheritance. Well, in that case, Tilly is going to make herself sort of scarce and not super noticeable because she doesn't want her parents finding out about this. Even though Scrooge's house is in disarray and Fred lives a little bit more luxurious, uh, Scrooge still considers Fred uh, poor just because Scrooge is that rich. But he's definitely, Fred is definitely more, more well off than most of you. More so than anything, I will say. So uh, Fred walks in. He's like, uncle, uncle, yes. Uh, oh, hello. You have company. I didn't, that's very unusual of you. H hello, everyone. My name is Fred. I'm Scrooge's uh, uncle. I'm sure he talks about me quite a lot, yes? Uh, well, hello, sir. My name is Sister Marguerite. I am here on behalf ah. of the church uh, of St. Shelley. Oh, yes, a sister. Of course, of course. Seeking a tithe from your from your uncle? You can get money out of... You, you think you can get money out of this old man, huh? Eh? Uh, well, if you think he is not good for it, perhaps... Uh, you would be interested in uh, supporting uh, I, the I church. assure you, I, assure uh, however, you I already have. I, and I'm looking forward to that money going to the children, to the toys, yes. Yes, yes, of course. Um, I, I do believe we were on our way out, unless... Scrooge just kind of looks to his, his nephew and says like, What are you doing here? I can't even see that I'm in the middle of something. Yes, I, I do see that, Uncle. Yes. Uh, quite interesting company that you keep. In fact, he looks around. He doesn't... You, Tilia, you're hiding. You're kind of like, don't look at I'm me. I'm like not looking at him. I'm, I'm like across the room, maybe looking at a bookshelf. And it, it's conceivable that you... Because you're dressed a little bit different than you would be at like a fancy party that he might not even recognize you in, in more like different clothing that's not as regal. So he's just looking around and he's kind of struck by the sight of private detective extraordinaire Kensington Chalet. And he says, oh my goodness, you are, are you, you're Mr. Chalet, yes? Yes, absolutely. Kensington I, Chalet, private detective. I have read all about your adventures. Uh, you've solved so many mysteries over the years. I am uh, positively uh, obsessed with your work, sir. Yes, I really need to tell my assistant to stop publishing memoirs of all of our uh, exploits, as it were. 
Please don't. They are a delight to read. Uh, you are a fast... Well, you know, I am having a bit of a... Not really a party, but kind of an after-Christmas sort of drinks at, at my place. And um, I think... I would love to have you there as an esteem. I would love to have all of you there. I don't even know most of you. I haven't even introduced myself to uh, these two ladies here. He points to Tilia and Marianne. But, but if you are good enough to be in my uncle's company, then I say you are uh, more than welcome to join me for drinks uh, tomorrow night uh, after after Christmas, after you celebrate the way that you do with your families and loved ones. Please come on by. I dare so that sounds lovely. I very much appreciate your invite. Yes, and he extends the invite to his uncle as well. Scrooge, I, uncle, listen, I, I know that I ask you every year and you always say no, but I would very much like for you to come over and have drinks with me and my lovely Clara tomorrow night. We'll have all sorts of guests, games. It'll be so much fun having you there to celebrate Christmas. And Scrooge just kind of shrivels up and says, Christmas. Bah! Humbug. Do any of you react? Do you have any of your characters have strong feelings about Christmas in any capacity? I, you know, I, su- I suppose I would have to fake that I give a darn. Christmas? A humbug? <laughs> yes, uncle. Christmas? A humbug? Don't be ridiculous, uncle. And uh, Scrooge says, You let me keep Christmas in my own way. Keep it? But you don't keep it. Well, then... Let me leave it alone, then. Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry? You're poor enough, and Christmas has never done much good for you there. What right have you to be so dismal? You're rich enough. Besides, things mustn't bring profit into the world for them to be to bring good into the world. Christmas is a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. The only time I know of in the long calendar year when men and women seem by one consent to open their shut hearts freely and to think of people below them as if they really were fellow passengers to the grave and not just another race of creatures bound on other journeys. I have never once asked anything of you, uncle. I don't want anything of you. Other than for us to just be friends now come on have drinks with us tomorrow night good evening nephew if you haven't noticed i've worked in some passages from the book into this game as fred heads out marion will shout i'll see you tomorrow yes thank you and again you are all despite my uncle's unwillingness you are all still invited to come over i look forward to seeing you. Tilia, you know the place. Like, he definitely has clocked you at this point. Like, you know the place. I'll see you there. The bishop will be in town tomorrow. May may I bring him as a guest? I mean, it's as my well? understanding that the bishop will have his own private dinner. So you're willing to go, if you want to go there or to my thing, I, I totally understand if, if you get an invite to the bishop's thing. It's kind of a big deal. If you want to go to his and not mine, that's totally fine. But hey, if you find yourself needing something to do, come on over. Thank you so Fred heads out until you chase Leah after him. She says, Fred, Fred, excuse me for being so rude in there. I, uh, I was hoping you might not notice me. If you wouldn't mind, it would be much preferable if mommy and daddy didn't, didn't hear about me being out and about. You, you know how they are. I, I did not mean to, uh, 
to get uh, to, to get you all worked up. No, I, of course, of course. I would never, trust me, I know how it is being related to people who don't really share the same values that you do. Yes, yes. I, yes. I, I appreciate that. Tell Clara hello for me. Oh, I will. I hope you come by. Really, I do. And he heads off uh, into the night. And um, so that's it. You are all inside of the home of Scrooge. He has hired you to hunt down ghosts. Don't really know where to start. So if you want to ask Scrooge any questions, if you want to look around and investigate the place to get more information, please feel free to do that. But I would love to check in with uh, what everyone wants to do. It is totally fine if not all of you want to do it. We do have a character who is definitely an investigator and also a character who is a ghost hunter who both might be more suited to get more information about anything. Yeah, I'll hang out around Tilia and ask her about ghosts. Scrooge, you might uh, point us in the right direction by letting us know where you first saw this ghost. I don't. I haven't seen any of the three ghosts that are supposed to haunt me, but I did see Jacob Marley right here in this room, this home office that I've set up, just working late, counting money. And um, what what was this room to him before he left this world? I think he um, perhaps used it as a, a, a guest room or... or a den, a living room. I don't. Do you do you have any of his prized possessions in the office? The only thing related to Jacob Marley that I saved was his obituary. I believe a friend saw somewhere on the ground. Uh, he must be uh, tethered to you, then. I don't know what that means. I was going to ask Scrooge some questions as well. Yeah, go for it, my dear Scrooge. Which friends did Marley? Say we're going to be visiting you. Which which of his friends did he mention, or did he give you any sort of idea? Well, he he did say that um, I'd be visited by ghosts that would showcase my wrongdoings and misdeeds throughout my whole life. One that will show me my past errors. One that will show me my current errors. And one... That, and this is the most ridiculous one, will allow me to see the future and see where I may have wronged others there as well. If any of you want to give an insight check to what he said for some more information, dirty 20, 20 from Marianne. 19. Okay. I will say that Kensington and Marianne both hear the ghosts of uh, past, present, and future. And your insight, your gut instinct is that in order to teach Scrooge a lesson, you would need to start at the beginning. You would need, you would probably start in the past. So with a dirty 20 and with a 19, you are confident that the first ghost that will attack, that is probably still getting set up somewhere is the ghost of Christmas past. I, uh, Marianne's going to grab a book and a pen and hand it to Scrooge and say, could you please write down the address of where you grew up? I, uh, Scrooge kind of scoffs at that question and says, I wouldn't, I do not like you asking me 
personal questions about my my livelihood. I, 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 I'm not well, going to... Well, I don't like you at all. I, I'm not... My dear Scrooge, we're, we're not seeking after your livelihood. We're seeking after your former livelihood, if it were. Uh, if we're going to stop your past from coming to call, we need to know a thing or two about your past so that we may go overturn those leaves and make sure that there's nothing hiding underneath them. Scrooge kind of folds his arms and says, well, if you want to know anything about me, then you may as well take a look around. It would take me ages to tell you all of the marvelous adventures and and excellent things that I've done with my life. If I could start you at the very beginning when I was born and tell you all of the uh, gracious, merciful things that I've done. Where did you and Marley meet, Mr. Scrooge? He begins to... uh, An interesting story. Uh, So, and he begins to kind of unravel that tale a little bit and it's just taking forever for him to get to any relevant information when while he's talking i'm going to um do some investigation and look at we're in like a room with books and papers right there's a 19 for investigation i'm looking for anything that looks like i don't know the life and times of ebenezer scrooge or like magical me a story of scrooge and marley something like that (laughs) so scrooge is is going about this tale talking about his, his good dear friend marley and meanwhile you are just in your kensington chalet mode of scanning the room and finding like all like it's that where text is popping up and like things are like labeling like oh this is important this is dusty what's that about mind palace exactly and so what you see is the only thing that scrooge seems to care enough about to properly maintain in his house is his money as i said there's a row of safes uh lined up against his back wall uh they're bolted to the ground and uh they appear to be lined up from smallest to largest leading up to an old yet robust file cabinet that might be of some interest on the opposite wall there is a fireplace although scrooge was a man of means uh there was not a fire burning in his fireplace the old miser wouldn't waste the coal to even raise it one degree above the fireplace was a mantle sparsely decorated with what appeared to be keepsakes uh small items and trinkets that clearly mean enough to scrooge that he'd care to display them properly amongst all the litter on the ground uh there are tragically few of these but at least they are being taken care of more than the rest of his hoard scrooge never sold or threw out anything of perceived value he clutched his possessions as if they might suddenly sprout legs and walk out on him and i do mention that these things have a uh, perceived value they are uh worthless to anyone else yeah his home is littered with stuff it's not dirty and gross but through the chaos you do also see a dusty trunk buried under a stack of books that looks a little bit out of place uh, I will actually need Marguerite, Sister Marguerite, to roll perception or insight, whatever one you're stronger in. Uh, that's going to be a 15. 15. Perfect. So earlier you walked in and you were trying to clock anything that might be a children's toy or belong to children. This trunk buried under a stack of books looks out of place because it looks like it once belonged to a child or a young teen. I'll go with the mantle full of tchotchkes. Child's trunk dibs. Yeah, I was, I'll take the file cabinet. We're going to stick on Sister Marguerite for a second then, since you've just clocked this trunk. So yeah, you, you walk over to this trunk. 
brush away all the books on top of it. Inside, and Scrooge obviously is going on about his tales. He's not really paying attention to what other people are doing. Inside of here appear to be more old books, but they are school books, along with a couple of uh, extremely well-loved copies of Robinson, Robinson Crusoe and Arabian Nights. These are loo- uh, there are also loose scraps of paper with handwritten essays. Uh, and buried deep inside is an old school uniform. There is no name of the school on the uniform, but there is a crest and some Latin and a year marking that was established in 1812. I'm going to do a history check first. 18. So you look at this old school uniform that has not been worn in some time by a, by a young child. Uh, it's a uniform from the McTeague boarding school. Uh, it is just a bit further uptown from where, uh, where Scrooge attended as a child. Uh, as you're like flipping through these essays, you can see his name written on all of these. So you, you gather that this is Scrooge's old school stuff. Can I skim any of the essays? Yeah, you can skim some of the essays. Uh, Some of them are uh, essays. As you flip through them, you notice that they turn kind of into little diary entries as well. And you start reading them and Scrooge notices you flipping through his old trunk, stops in the middle of his story, rushes over, closes it and says, do not go through my things and, and... and he sees you holding his diary entries and he kind of gets a little quiet, takes them from you and kind of like scans them a bit and is a little bit more open to telling you about his past. And he kind of looks through them and says, you know, when I was at this school as a boy during Christmas time, all the other boys went home to their families, but I stayed behind alone. A poor, lonely soul, simply reading at my desk in a cold, empty classroom. And he kind of grabs his very well-loved copies of of books that he loves. And and he says, I do not care to admit it, but growing up, I never really had any real friends. So he taps the books. These were my friends, the characters of the books that I read. And that's all he'll say. Unless you want to press him further on that. I mean, my first thought was he thinks he has friends now. (laughs) Well, my old friend, Jacob Marley, of course. Well, if your parents were not taking you, bringing you home for Christmas, then where where were they going? Certainly not to the church. Yeah, I, I have no idea where my parents went. They never brought me home because they sent me away. My father did not want to see my face. Ever again, the only relative who ever cared about me was my sister, my sister Fran. I'm just going to let him get lost in thought with that. You can go ahead and give me an insight check if you want. Fifteen. When Scrooge talks about his sister Fran, uh, he gets a little sad in the face. And you can fairly confidently put together that Fran was the mother of his uh, nephew, Fred. Scrooge continues and he says... uh, I remember the day that Fran came and uh, rescued me from the boarding school to bring me home for good. I uh, packed up my trunk for the final time. He's getting a little happy. He's normally not happy. He's smiling, just thinking about his sister Fran and thinking about this memory. And he says, I, I packed up my trunk for the final time and it was good to be home with Fran for, for the little time that it was. She... 
should still be here, but alas, at least I have my nephew, I suppose. Anyway, uh, Kensington, you are looking at the file cabinet. I was, yes. I'm assuming that's an investigation, and it's, uh, another dirty 20. Wow. Excellent. So this file cabinet is locked up tight, like the safes that align the walls with it. Uh, okay. But you do notice that there's handwriting on the kind of like markers for the drawers. Uh, and they don't, and you do a quick scan over to Scrooge's desk, which is right in front of it. They don't match his handwriting at all. Scrooge, whose writing is this on this this filing cabinet? Oh, yes, yes. Oh, the, the, oh, well, that's my... Old employer, uh, Mr. Fezziwig, a lovely man, uh, owned a small business that wasn't nearly as profitable as mine, of course, but uh, it was a pleasure to work for him. Didn't pay me much, but it was always nice to have him uh, treat me with kind words and uh, praise as much, with as much generosity as he could muster. But, uh, well, you know, as things go... If you're not profitable enough, his business was bought out, and I was bought out with it, and uh, a new management instructed me and my my new co-worker, Jacob Marley. You remember I was telling that story earlier about how me and Marley met? Yeah, yeah. Well, we met here, and, uh, well, we were supposed to focus on profitability above all. And we did that, until we were very clever, you see. We eventually attained control of the company itself, became Scrooge and Marley. And uh, although my clerk, uh, Mr. Cratchit, does do a fine job, it's honestly sad to say that he might be my closest friend, really. Uh, um, <clears throat> there is uh, simply no room for business, uh, in business for niceties and words of praise like my old uh, dear Fezziwig. As much as I enjoyed working for Fezziwig, I own his company now. And that says it all. Is that the same house where you keep your shop now? Yes, yes, it's the same place. Excellent. On the mantle, Tilia, you're checking that out? Yep, yep, let's get a roll. That will be a 21. There are a few knickknacks and trinkets placed upon the mantle. Very few uh, with the large gaps between them. Uh, there's a rather nice pen. Uh, you can tell that it, it is uh, gifted from potentially uh, Fezziwig himself. Uh, there is a child's doll there. Potentially not Scrooge's, but perhaps someone very close to him. And sitting in the middle is a handwritten letter. It is a letter written in pen with some smudges where the paper got wet, as if someone cried over it. Whether it was the author of the letter or the recipient, it is hard to tell. Dearest Ebenezer, another idol has displaced me, a golden one. And if I can cheer and comfort you in time to come, as I would have tried to do, I have no cause to grieve. You fear the world too much. All your other hopes have merged into the hope of being beyond the chance of its sordid reproach. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off one by one until the master passion, gain, engrosses you. Our contract is an old one. It was one made when we were both poor and content to be so, but you are changed. When it was made, you were another man, but I am still the same. 
That which promises happiness when we are one in heart is fraught with misery now that we are two. How often and how keenly I have thought of this, but I will not say. It is enough that I have thought of it and can release you. With a full heart, for the love of him you once were, I release you. You may have pain in this, in a very, very brief time, and you will dismiss the recollection of it, gladly, as an unprofitable dream. May you be happy in the life you have chosen. Bell. So, you read over that, and Scrooge's attentions, uh, attention snaps to you reading this keepsake letter, and he rushes over to you, and, what, how, what are you doing? And he snaps it out of your hand. Uh, how dare you go through? Uh, there's so much in this room that you could have possibly gone through, and you went straight for something that, that you, sh- you should not have laid your hands on. So, Scrooge, has, uh, has money been worth price? Yeah. Kind of gets a little teary-eyed and says, um, well, you know, my bell was the, uh, the love of my life, but she thought that I loved money more. Perhaps she was right. I never did chase after her. Instead, burying myself deeper in work, my ambition for gain and profit. She did love me, and she felt that if I truly loved money, then she would leave, she would leave me to my one true love, and she would be happy that I'm happy. Scrooge is kind of lost, and he's kind of tearing up a little bit. But that's it. Those are your three clues. You can do insight or investigation to figure out which of these is the most pertinent to figure out where to go next. I will give Kensington, if you want to do uh, investigation with uh, advantage. Tilia, if you want to do insight with advantage. I rolled a 14 on my insight check. Kensington, how are you doing? Uh, 24. So Kensington, what what you you figure out, the ghost of Christmas past would probably, and this kind of goes off of your insight from earlier, where you start teaching Scrooge a lesson from the beginning. So your kind of investigation there would be that you're positive that the place to start, that the place the ghost would be setting up first, would be the thing that is furthest in the past, the furthest thing in the past, and. Tilia, with the 14, what you remember is, and I didn't quite set this up properly earlier, but the McTeague boarding school is uptown. And Tilia, you remember Catherine saying something about their uptown being lit with spectral activity. With all of this information put together, you know the place that you are most likely to run into the first ghost to fight is the McTeague boarding school a little bit uptown. Well, everyone, I think our best bet is the boarding school. I concur. tally Well, Mr. Scrooge, we are on a mission, and I am sure that you have no interest in joining us. So you stay here, sit tight, and we'll see if we can't fix your little problem. Yes. We've got a full pack of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark when we're wearing sunglasses. <laughs> our mission, God. Let's hit it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And with that information, the our four adventurers, our four heroes for hire, potentially, our ghost hunters, are off to the McTeague boarding school to fight their first ghost. The first of three. Three. 
Hey everybody, Ethan here. Just popping in to say thank you for listening to episode two of A Christmas Peril, a late to the party side quest. We've got a couple more episodes coming up for you. This is the one that came out on December 14th, so we got December 21st and Christmas Day, December 25th, with uh, the final episode of A Christmas Peril DM by Scott Nicewander. We had a, a lot of fun making this. It was it was a super fun time. We got to rail Jordan for her questionable voice acting, and it was it was just a blast. We're so glad that people are enjoying it. We got a lot of great responses to the first episode. What we really need your help with is sharing this around. We did this, A, so that we can have some fun Christmas entertainment, but B, so that we can get people hooked on the rest of the podcast without them having to listen to 30 or 25 or however many episodes we've done so far of the the main campaign. So this is a pretty easy little four-segment thing. Only two of them are out. So tell your friends, tell your family, tell your coworkers, tell your Twitter feed, tell your Instagram page, tell your TikTok, tell your email blast list, tell everyone you've ever met to listen to Late to the Party, a listen to the Christmas Peril side quest, and then go listen to the main campaign once you're hooked on that. We really need your help to make this show as big as it can possibly be and to reach as many people as possible so we can, you know, buy better mics and food and stuff and bills and and all that kind of junk. Uh, This is the time of year for giving, and we're not necessarily asking for money, but we are asking for you to tell people about the podcast. Anyway, I've been Ethan Edshill. I normally play Ben Allen Roth. This time I'm playing Kensington Shelley, private detective extraordinaire, and we lead you back in the episode where we're chasing down the ghost of Christmas past. You are on your way out the door. I remind you that it is uh, very dark. It is very cold. And the McTeague boarding school is actually a bit up the road from the city. It's outside of the city, so it will take you some time to get there. It's maybe about an hour's walk, maybe a little less. And we are obviously deep into this year, so the sun has set early. It's maybe about... Um, 8 o'clock at night now and because it is so dark and because it is pretty much uphill the entire way I will need everyone in the party to roll me a constitution saving throw uh, Kensington Chalet got an 11 14 for Tilia 19 for Marianne Nat 1 Nat 1 for Sister Marguerite Sister Marguerite dies <laughs> <laughs> As you were all making your way up to the McTeague boarding school, the Tilia, Kensington, Mary, and you're doing okay. You're energized. You're excited about this. Sister Marguerite, this is a much longer trek than you're used to doing. Uh, You are not used to walking uphill in this cold, dark night. You are going to take one level of exhaustion. Yuck. So you will just take disadvantage on ability checks. It is beyond dark now. You have fully left the city with all of its lanterns and oil drum fires from the impoverished trying to keep warm. The street leading up to the school is pitch black, save for the moon washing over the misty air. And it's silent. As Scrooge alluded to, uh, there are typically no students or teachers here this time of year. Everyone has gone home. Uh, They're all home for the holidays. And yet, as you approach the courtyard of this school, there appears to be a faint glow in the distance. Just a faint light source. Uh, how far away? It's, it's maybe about 50 to 60 feet away. I want to use my divine sense to 
know, basically know the location of any celestial fiend or undead within 60 feet. Excellent. And yeah, d- go ahead and describe for me. So you are all approaching this. You see this light source and Sister Marguerite does does kind of what to get a sense of this? I'm going to pull out my rosary and start praying. Excellent. And your rosary kind of gives you some insight into what you're seeing ahead of you. You do detect at that light source is a being. It's kind of, it's not good or evil necessarily. It is more so neutral, but... Is it a celestial fiend or an undead? It is an undead. A kind of chaotic, neutral, undead being. There is, as far as you can detect, there is just the one. And it's right in front of you, and it's glowing, this big old light. Cool. I I may quietly whisper to the group that there is uh, something up ahead that seems not not correct. Uh, Jordan, roll me a a deception check. Uh, to see if you're fooling anyone with this. You did a bad accent. And you have disadvantage on skill checks. I have disadvantage on skill checks. Oh, no. Yes, you sure do. You sure do. 12. 12. I think everyone is starting to see through your your accent. And anyone who wants to, uh, after... Sister Marguerite says that there is something up ahead, something kind of weird. Um, anyone who wants to can make a perception check for me if you want more information. Perception is 22. Four. Nat 20. So when you see this light, when you when Kensington and, and Tilia see this light, and even Sister Marguerite, you're focusing on it. It is not a consistent glow of light. It's kind of flickering in and out a little bit. It's hard to tell if it's moving very rapidly or if it is totally blinking out of existence and into another area. Rapidly kind of staying for a couple seconds, going to another place, going to another place. Uh, It is a light source that is hovering, again, obscured by fogs. You can't see what is causing this light source, but it is just popping in and out. Not staying still. Tilia and Kensington as well. Not Sister Marguerite. But because you two rolled very well, you also hear the soft sound of a voice coming from that light. And you do know that this is the place you need to be. So do you approach? Yeah, I say we cautiously approach Yeah, I mean, Tilia doesn't have much fear. She's used to this. So she's just going to go ahead. Marion is softly holding uh, Arabella Adams' handkerchief in her pocket and following the group. And I uh, grab my rapier. And fantastic. And of course, Sister Marguerite, you know, based on the spell that you cast, that it is just one thing blinking in and out. It is not multiple things causing these light sources. As you all approach closer to this light and kind of wade your way through the fog, I am going to need... Everyone except Tilia to roll me a wisdom saving throw. 13. No whammies, no whammies. Four? Four for Marianne. 13 for Marguerite and 19 for Kensington. As you approach this glowing light, Kensington and, well, just Kensington. Kensington, you, in fact, make out what this figure is. This figure is... Just a very generic person. Looks like a groundskeeper uh, in my, just, just for the sake of it. Uh, well, um, yeah, they're just a groundskeeper holding a lantern. That's really what you see in this light. 
kind of like a gender non-binary sort of person just holding a lantern, maybe just walking around doing whatever. Marianne and Sister Marguerite, you're, you at first see this groundskeeper, but instead, as you approach even further, your mind tries really hard to wrap your mind, to like, to, to figure out how they're like, but I thought they were blinking in and out and, and the lights floating and flickering. I don't understand. And this person, this groundskeeper starts to morph in your own kind of consciousness to just a shining, living ball of fire hovering above the ground, floating, zip-zapping between places. They don't notice you yet, but that image of a groundskeeper, normal person morphing into something incredibly supernatural in your brain... Tilia, you've all, you just saw this floating thing from moment one. Not a surprise to you, even a little bit. That, that is what you see in front of you. How are you feeling, you two? I'm not one of those two, but I walk toward the thing. I'm confused and surprised, but I also know that I basically have nothing to worry about because my God is on my side. Excellent. Marianne? I'm going to lean over to sister and be like, do you see this? The Lord... Give strength to people who who believe and trust him. We we will be fine. Tilia chuckles as she watches everybody else react and just pulls out both of her crossbows. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just not, you not walk, reacting. You don't you don't see anything. You you see a person. You see just uh, just some sort of uh, non-binary groundskeeper walking about the place uh, with a lantern. That's all you see. So you want to walk up to this person, mm, Kensington? Yeah, I'm walk up to Kensington, you you may just, not want to do that. All is not what appears. And I'm just going to kind of look back at you and just be like, whatever. It's fine. I've got it. I just think this is a person. Kensington walks with purpose. You approach this, what you appear is, what appears to you as just a regular person. And they are just talking to themselves. And you, you kind of hear them saying like, hmm, all right, well, are we, are we sure that we want to start uh, here? Perhaps uh, we could probably uh, go. Uh, does it make sense to start? And then like poofs to another location. And however it makes sense in your lo- in your head, Kensington, of how they're appearing in multiple places, zip zapping back and forth. Maybe in your head, it looks like they're just running back and forth. I don't know. But to everyone else, they're popping in and out. And this um, figure is just kind of like... <sighs> Yes, of course it makes sense to do start here because then uh, what happens is uh, we we start in the past, but yeah, poof to another place. Yes, I know we start in the past, but we can still we can work backwards, start at the future, work backwards. That could be also good. Poof to another place. Yes, but we have to move forward to set it up for the and then they turn and see you. While that's going on, and I hear them talking about you know starting with the future and going to the past. I'm as soon as they see me, I'm going to call out and say, "Hello there." What? Uh, uh, hello, um, hi, uh, can you, do you see me here, yes? Yes, it's okay. day. And to you I am what? Um, a fellow with a lantern who is talking to themselves. Fantastic. They can see you, ghost, I can see you. Oh no, um, okay, um. Tilia, we need not jump to any conclusions this is clearly the person that we are here to fellow fellow what is your name uh, it does it's it, um i just it, can you just go about your business please i i, I am not ah, but see, uh, here. Where you i am this trying is, uh, yes this is, this is where you've you've aired is is that you uh, my dear friend are 
our business. I, I uh, don't We are here understand. on behalf of a Mr. Ebenezer Scrooge. I, I don't understand what that means. All I know is that I am... What, did you say Scrooge? Yes. Ebenezer Scrooge has hired my frankly ridiculous compatriots and I uh, to stop you from doing him harm. Are you for real? Like, that's that's a real thing that, that Scrooge did. He... We are. We're just here to teach him like a lesson, and then if he if he does not Look, want, you to have approximately thirty seconds before I shoot you with a crossbow. Now, Terry, I think that's a bit. Di- this does not even concern you all. We are just trying to teach Scrooge a, a little lesson, and and he is, is he really so stubborn that he sent four of you to to to, to fight us, uh, presumably. Uh, <sighs> See, here, good friend, I believe that the, the person you sent uh, to portray his friend Jacob Marley has frightened Mr. Scrooge quite a bit, and um, he seems to believe that you are a ghost. Where does the voice look like it's coming out for those of us who don't see a human, see an orb? You, if you, you see just a ball of fire that has no face or mouth, Sound is just radiating out of it. Cool. As it's zip-zapping around. Sister Marguerite does not like this. Now, uh, my dear friend, you have given, um, you've given Mr. Scrooge quite a fright, and uh, he believes that you and your friends are ghosts, phantasmal beings, spirits, as it were, here to do him harm. Well, that would be ridiculous, then, wouldn't it? (laughs) Now... If you would be so kind as to accompany us back to Mr. Scrooge's house and we could put everything right. I cannot believe that Ebenezer Scrooge doesn't want to learn a simple lesson about basic human decency. That he would he would try to kill ghosts? We're already dead. Why are you an orb? What are you talking about? Enough talking! Enough talking! Tilia walks up to the ghost and just like sticks her hand through him. <laughs> you are gonna uh, take some damage for that, for sure. What What do I see? You see Tilia sticking her hand into the uh, groundskeeper's lantern. But I see something perfectly explainable. Perfectly, whatever happens... What, Not normal, but explainable. Explainable. Whatever happens because you succeeded that wisdom saving throw, even if fantastic stuff happens to the rest of the group, your mind has to rationalize it into something that makes sense for you. So as I see Tilia do that, I'm just going to... Tilia! Enough! Enough! And then he... Or they... You know, blast out uh, some light. And all around you the ground begins to tremble and breaks apart. Glowing runes from the ground light up with bright orange light encircling you in this schoolyard. And this ghost of Christmas past says, well, if Scrooge won't learn from his past then I'll make sure he has no future, and neither will you. And I'm going to need everyone to roll initiative. Hot dice, hot dice. 16. 
15. 19. 13. Okay. We start with Tilia. Tilia, there are, uh, like I said, there are the ground is cracked. There are glowing orange runes encircling all of you all in this courtyard. The Ghost of Christmas Pass is right in the middle of it. And it is your turn. Start us off. I'm going to shoot it with crossbows. Excellent move. Uh, cool. Go ahead and roll me some attack rolls. 11 is the first one. Okay. Second one is 27. Whew. Whew. And then I think as a bonus action, I get to attack again. 23. 23. The last two of those do hit. So you fire one, it misses, and then you get your two more. Roll me some damage. All right. That'll be seven and nine. Excellent. You blast this thing. And uh, it takes two cross bolts. And uh, your crossbow bolts are your hairpins, I believe. Yes. So you load them up, shoot at it. This thing hits hard. As a general note, uh, once per turn, when I hit a creature with a weapon attack, the creature takes an extra 1d8 damage if it's below its HP maximum. So the the second hit should deal an extra 1d8. Go for it. The ghost dies. Ooh, that'll be eight. That's an eight? Yeah, it takes eight. You hit this thing... And it gets hurt real, real, real bad. You see it kind of wither away. It's flame bursting out shrinks a little bit smaller. It's kind of an explosion of sparks shrinks a little bit more. And in fact, when you hit it just now, it as a reaction blinks out of existence. It goes invisible. But... As it does that, one of the runes on the ground in the circle around you lights up. If I were to describe this rune circle as a clock, I would say the rune in the 12 position lights up, just briefly, before returning to normal. And yeah, it has fully gone invisible as a reaction. You cannot see it, and it is Marianne's turn. Marianne is going to cast Fairy Fire. Fairy Fire. Say, Interesting. Show yourself. Uh, what does that do? Each object in a 20-foot cube within range is outlined in blue, green, or violet light. Your choice. Any Wild. creature in the area when the spell is cast is also outlined in light if it fails a dexterity saving throw, which is 15. Wild. So even though this thing is invisible, this should get you an outline on it? Yep. Yeah, it says uh, any attack roll against an affected creature or object has advantage if the attacker can see it, and the affected creature or object can't benefit from being invisible. Amazing. I was not anticipating that. Great pick. Uh, You cast that. What does that look like for you? So I think, hmm, Marianne probably has like a book on her, and she just like pulls out a page, Mm -hmm. (gasps) crumbles it. And oh. throws it into the area. Uh-huh. And it's just like, oh, no, no, no. You don't get to cause damage and then disappear. The the page, the crumpled page thrown out there hits some sort of barrier. Boom, illuminates this creature, this ghost 
in 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 a little outline so it makes it easier to see for everyone. How long does that last for? One minute. One minute. Whew, it's gonna last. This it, whole it did have the chance thing. to deck save. Yeah, you can oh, roll a deck it? save. It's a fifteen deck save. A fifteen deck save. All right, let's roll well, buddy. Did not succeed. So <laughs> you've got it. Yeah, the ghost is fully has a has an outline for you to see. What, are you, what is there anything else you want to do? I don't think I can do anything else. Okay, that was a good turn because you Thank have made you. it easier for uh, Kensington to potentially Ooh. slap this yes. ghosty. Uh, Kensington, you are up. The ghost is outlined. Not happy. Okay, and so this still all makes sense to me, though. However, you rationalize it. Uh, okay makes sense to you so for example the ghost disappearing uh could just be in your head it ran away undercover and you know uh marianne casting something to illuminate it might be her shining some sort of light on it or something i don't know something in your head that makes sense so then i'm going to how i'm gonna run up to it then i have 45 feet of movement can i can i get to it oh absolutely you can cool Yeah, yeah i'm gonna run up to it and be like Sir, now there was no reason to, for, to do any of this. I don't... Friend, why are we... I, and I'm going to hit him with my walking stick. <laughs> Excellent. Incredible. This I thing is like... yelling at him. We don't need to do this violence. Smack. <laughs> yeah, this thing is like, oh, I thought I was invisible. Oh, no. Oh, it's okay. I miss. Hey, you let me decide that. You tell me what you got. Okay, I got a nine. Yeah, you missed real bad. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A three plus six. <laughs> So Kensington runs up and is screaming at this dude and hits him with his, tries to hit him with a big old walking stick and whiffs completely. Incredible. As a, as another reaction, don't call me on this. This things get, this thing gets a lot of reactions as another one. It is going to, as you miss, you're swinging your little stick at it. You miss and it is going to teleport again away from this location and go and attack marianne who just revealed its location and wants a little revenge for that absolutely come at me so it's gonna teleport from where kensington is (laughs) again kensington your mind is like oh that that person's real quick yeah i'm gonna whip around how did you do that and it is going to come right up to you and it's going to just reach, kind of get up close to you and shoot a little bit of fire your way. That is going to be a 12 to hit. That barely misses. Barely misses. So if this thing shoots a couple embers out your way and it does nothing. It's just kind of a show. I go, um, whoop, whoop. Yeah. You dodge it real quick. And that will be Jordan's turn. Is the ghost within five feet of uh, Marianne? A hundred percent, yes. Excellent. So I would like, and I can get to it in one movement? Yes, I'm imagining this circle of uh, runes. Yes, it's quite close combat, yeah. So I'm going to take my rapier, dash over to this ghost that I have seen and... I'm not fully understanding what's happening because there's this mm-hmm. giant ball that is trying to hurt us um, and can teleport. 
Mm-hmm. But I'm going to come with my rapier and I am going to take a a lunge at it uh, with m- my sneak attack. And I actually get to attack twice. Um, but mm-hmm. first for the sneak attack, 18 to hit. Misses. Ugh. Yeah, this thing is small and quick. <sighs> well, I already attempted to hit it, so I'm going to attempt to hit it again. Awesome. Even worse, 12 to hit. So Does I slash, not. slash, and nothing. Doesn't hit. It is once again going to teleport away, and this time it's going to go to right behind Kensington. So Kensington was one second ago wanting to attack this groundskeeper. Groundskeeper vanishes, and now the groundskeeper is behind Kensington after a couple failed attacks over there. And it will once again... Shoot some embers out of out your way. That's going to be an 18 to hit. Uh, 18's going to do it. Excellent. You're going to take... Question. Do embers count as a missile? <gasps> yes. <laughs> catch it, catch it, catch it, catch it. Throw it back. Yes. That is a fascinating question. I'll just... You can use your re- reaction to deflect or catch the missile when you are hit by a ra- raged weapon attack. So no. Unless he's using like an ember shooter. It is not a ranged yeah. attack. Okay. No. It is a close... Co- it's a melee attack. Yes. What? Okay. I, it's, well, a, it's, a, it's a glowing ball of fire. I didn't know how it would hit you other than just like touching you, you uh, know? Like, yeah. Okay. What you see is this groundskeeper basically swinging their lantern at you. That's going to take, uh, you're going to get hit with nine points of damage, fire damage. And with that it is finally going to be the, the ghost of Christmas past's turn. <laughs> We're so f- I know. Gone yet. <laughs> it hasn't gone yet. It has a lot of quick movements and, uh, reactions. It's just going to straight up do that same thing again to you, to you, Kensington. It's just going to try to burn you again. Cool. That is going to be a, 13 to hit. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. It tries. <laughs> groundskeeper tries to swing their lantern at you. Totally misses. You're on guard this time. You dodge out of the way. That is everything that this creature will do. As you can tell, it doesn't have a lot up its sleeve, but it can do it a lot. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. It is small and quick and moves quite fast. We're going to go right back to the top of the order. That is Tilia. This thing is still invisible technically, but it is glowing with an aura so everyone can All see right. it. I would like to cast Hunter's Mark. Technically, it's a bonus action. Can I do that before I attack it? Absolutely. I'm going to t- cast a Hunter's Mark. And it is, you choose a creature that you can see within range and mystically mark it as your quarry. Until the spell ends, you deal an extra 1d6 damage to the target whenever you hit it with a weapon attack. And you have advantage on any wisdom or wisdom or perception or survival check you make to find it. If the target drops to zero hit points before the spell ends, you can use a bonus action on a subsequent turn of yours to mark a new creature. It is a concentration spell with a duration up to one hour. So now we'll move on to the attack portion of this fun turn. Mm-hmm. I'm going to shoot it twice. So I'm going to use both my attacks to shoot it with a crossbow. Um, and so if I hit it, I get an extra 1d6. And for one of the hits, I get an extra 1d8 for the damage rolls. That's a 19 to hit for the first one. That hits. 24 to hit. Yeah, that also hits, yes. All right, this is going to be a marathon. <laughs> 1d6 plus 4 for just the, the straight damage from the crossbow. So that's 6 plus an extra 1d6 because I have Hunter's Mark. So, oh, that's 1 plus 1d8 roll, which is 8. Now I'll roll for the second attack. 
1d6, that's 6 plus 4, 10, plus another 1d6, which will be 6. Excellent. You hit it again, devastating attacks from Tilia letting loose these hairpin crossbow bolts, two-handed, dual-wielding, and once again, the Ghost of Christmas past takes all of this damage, lets out a, a bit of a wail, a bit of a scream, and another burst of embers, and it has... Before it bursts of embers, you can see it shrink, the flame around it, the flame that it is, shrinks a little bit further, and it dissipates, it goes invisible again, and actually, when you deal all of this damage, part, as it's shedding its flame, growing a little bit smaller, it uses some of that energy to remove the fairy fire effect on it. So it is now fully invisible again. You can probably cast it again if you want. I don't know how many things you have, but it is fully invisible, is incredibly hurt. Tilia, when you hit this thing for all of this damage, you get a flash in your head. A flashback to when you were a small child, maybe less than 10 years old. It's Christmas morning, uh, and your parents have bought you beautiful clothes and hairpins. And, you know, they're saying, oh, Tilia, darling, you must try these on. Uh, you know, we're going to have a party later and the tailors are going to be over. I bet that James boy really would like you. You're such a catch. Uh, you know, why don't you try them on and make yourself look a little bit more presentable for for the family? Huh? Father, father, what do you what do you mean for for the tailor boy? Uh, darling, uh, of course you have to marry well, so we are preparing you early. That's why we got you all these nice things, so you can look uh, quite, uh, you know, fashionable and uh, ready to be uh, wed as soon as possible. But I'm like eight. Well, darling, there, there is no uh, time too early to start uh, planning these things, uh, wouldn't you say, dear? And your mom says... Yes, of, of course. Uh, of course, dear. Um, uh, Celia, um, uh, please, won't you just uh, try on the hairpins? They are very nice, and, and we, we paid a lot of money for these. You can take these back. I don't want them. Throws them. <laughs> Throws them. They, like, land in the, in the fireplace. Your parents are very upset, uh, and you storm up to your room, and for the first time ever, as you are quietly saddened by he, knowing that your parents are only buying you things so that you can impress others and, and uh, you know, kind of marry you off as soon as possible. Uh, you're sitting there sad and for the first time ever you see a little ghost of a little ghost child come out to, to greet you in your sadness. This is the first time that your mind has really seen and accepted the idea of ghosts. That veil that, that keeps you from it is completely torn as you see this. It's easier for children to, to break through that veil. So you're seeing this ghost, and this ghost very simply and very quietly uh, hands you the hairpins that you had thrown into the fire. They're a bit singed, and as she hands them to you, they're, they have a bit more of a, of a glowing aura about them. How does Tilia react? Tilia reaches out her hand and accepts them and says, Hi, I'm Tilia. What's your Hi. name? Hi, I'm, I'm Catherine. 
I'm eight, technically, but I'm very old. I saw that your parents were not treating you nicely. Parents are the worst, aren't they? Yeah. Well, I say, you stick with me, and we're going to have some fun adventures, eh? Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> and flashback out of that memory into the present day. Uh, a lot of stuff just happened. Tilia had a flashback. The ghost is invisible again. And that is that turn. The next person up is going to be Marianne. Did I see where they were last before they disappeared again? They were, I'm going to go ahead and say that this entire circle of runes is probably about 60 feet across. So from one end to the other, we'll take a couple, you know, full movements. But Mm -hmm. they were by, they were by Kensington, I thought, was the last person they attacked. Mm -hmm. I believe so. Yeah. So you're all still kind of in the bottom of this like clock sort of thing. Uh, Very easy to get to. Uh, not just wherever Kensington was is probably where they were. Not too far away. Definitely within a uh, a movement. The smart thing to do is to cast Fairy Fire again. The thing I want to do is cast Ray of Frost. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, you tell me what you want to do. Can I ask Kensington to duck? Y- you absolutely can. Okay. Kensington, Kensington, drop, drop your head down. And then I'm going to hold an action that is casting Ray of Frost, waiting for Kensington to duck. Is that your turn? Yep. Amazing. It is Kensington's turn now. I duck. Excellent. Uh, go ahead and take your shot. Obviously take it with disadvantage, because you don't see nothing. I get a 14. Does not hit. Great. It was, I will say, it was standing behind Kensington, so you just shoot behind him. I don't think you were in a position where it would hit Kensington, although no, that would be not. very funny. It, it's funny until he's dead. It's funny until he's dead. I'm going to stand back up on my turn then and uh, use a free action to talk and say, now, look, friend, this does not have to go badly for any of us. Just everyone stop and we can and we can. We can figure out a compromise, something that will work for everyone. No one has to get hurt or burned or killed. Well, and you you hear from, well, I'd make you do a perception check if you wanted a specific thing, but you at least hear the voice of the ghost saying, all we wanted to do was, was teach him a lesson and you're ruining that. Please, please don't just go away and we forget all this ever happened. I, I, I really have a lot to do to prepare to get set up. F- friend, we cannot go away. Uh, we've been hired for this job, just as I assume you've been hired for your job. Um, we both have something to do here and it really just need not happen. Well, I mean, if you're not going to go away, then the only thing I can do is 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 fight you away. So please just. Uh, it's ca- it's having a bit of a panic attack. Are you aware that what you're doing is committing a crime? The ghost is no longer responding. Cool. Would you like to do anything else on your turn? I would. Can I roll to speak to the manager? <laughs> <laughs> I will hold an attack action okay. for if it shows up again and tries to whack me. Excellent. Good call. Like, I will ready my staff. That is going to be Jordan's turn. Sister Marguerite. This thing is still invisible? Still invisible. I am going to channel divinity, turn the unholy. As an action, 
I can censure fiends and undead, uh, an undead that can see or hear me within 30 feet. I will go the, however close to Kensington I need to be to guess that he's within 30 feet. Sure. Uh, must make a wisdom saving throw DC 14 and on a failure, uh, it is turned for one minute, meaning that it is basically afraid of me and uses all of its movement to move away from me Mm -hmm. or until it takes damage. Okay, cool. I have no issues with that. Do the thing. Tell me, do I need to, did you say I need to DC 14 wisdom save. DC 14 wisdom save. Got it. That's a 17. Dang it. All you hear is some cackling and some laughing. Ugh, then nothing happens. <laughs> what can I do on a bonus action? You can cackle back. <laughs> Assert your dominance. Yes. Cool. Yeah, that's all I'm gonna that's all I'm gonna do. Cool. It is now the spirit's turn. It is going to focus fire, teleport right in front of Marianne again, the person who, who once gave away its location, doesn't want that to happen again. Wants to take you out. Hmm. And we can see it again or no? Yes. It is going to attack, which means it is losing its uh, invisibility. It's going to be in front of uh, Marianne. It will attack you with some embers, shooting out some embers towards you. Okay. Uh, That is going to be a 13 to hit. That hits. As a reaction, I am going to use uh, protection to impose disadvantage. Ooh. That was very useful. It missed for sure. Got an eight. Yay! Well done. All right, so that is its turn. We are back at the top of the... It is so frustrated that it cannot hit you, Marianne, because it really doesn't want you to cast that spell again if you're even capable of it. But yes, so it just says like, Ah, I see you have uh, friends uh, that will uh, protect you. <laughs> uh, you. I can't wait for you to meet my friends later. <laughs> Then we're back at the top of the order with Tilia. Are you ready for some more ghost? Let's do it. Tilia, do you happen to have a big giant candle snuffer? Mm, no, just the crossbow. Damn, it's worth a shot. All right, so I get two attacks and I can use an attack bonus action. So we're going to go for this thing three times. Excellent. All right, so first one is a 13. 13 to hit, fails. What about a 25? That definitely hits, yes. Third attack. Ooh, that'll be a uh, another 25. That'll do it. All right. You have a knack for like missing than hitting twice. Just (laughs) 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 All right. So first attack that hit. We've got our 1d6 plus four. So that's two plus four. So that's a total of six. Total of six. I'm and then talking. because I have Hunter's Mark, I get another 1d6. That's okay. four plus four. That'll be eight. And then I get to roll okay. a 1d8 because of my extra bonus. Okay. That'll be a seven. Okay. And then for my second attack. Good Lord. Hold on. Did you, it's all of those numbers, I counted a 21. Did you do 21 damage or with one attack? Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Continue with your second attack. Second attack is four plus four, so that's eight plus five. Another 13. 13. Okie dokie. I gotta Yet say, again. Uh, yeah. I am doing double cross bolt whatever for my future characters. It's quite good. You hit this thing once again, double crossbow, 
hairpins straight to it, lets out another scream, Ouch! shrinks again in size, vanishes, invisible, yet again, leaves behind embers. Uh, as you hit it this time around, another one of the runes on the ground lights up. This time, it is, again, if we were looking at this as a clock, it would be the four position. And with this thing invisible, yet again, we go to uh, Marianne. I feel like this combat is very cyclical in a couple ways. <laughs> <laughs> Marianne is going to say, oh, thank goodness you've gone invisible again. You're so ugly. Uh, and cast vicious mockery. <laughs> do you need to see it in order to do that? It needs to hear me. Okay. If the target can hear you, it must succeed on a wisdom saving throw. Mm. Or take advantage or take damage. Cool. 15. 15? So I rolled twice because it is having a panic attack. And so it gets disadvantage. It for sure fails. Great. It takes 2d4. Roll that for me. Yeah, and you're going to like it. Seven damage. Cool. Seven psychic damage. Psychic damage. So you deal psychic damage to a ghost (laughs) (laughs) so you you call it ugly you say thanks for becoming invisible (laughs) i'm not i don't think that i'm that ugly i just uh, do you really think that i'm ugly i don't think that i'm that ugly what do you think does anyone else think that i'm ugly and it's just like as it goes back into visibility you can see it just kind of like shaking between like you know Two places so close together, like one foot apart. Just, like it's visibly like, uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Why would you say that? And yeah, you have successfully dealt damage to this creature. As you do that, you yourself have a quick flashback in your own mind. Just last Christmas, you and Arabella were having a picnic in a park. Uh, There's snow on the ground, but the air is still and the sun is out. It is a beautiful day. And Arabella uh, just managed to get away from her family for a little bit to hang with you. And uh, she says, Oh, yes. I mean, I I was just saying, haven't you seen that necklace in the window, right? Isn't that just the most beautiful thing that you've ever seen? Absolutely stunning. I I must say I'm a bit disappointed in my James for uh, not getting it for I swear I thought he was going to get that for me for for this year's uh, Christmas. I had kind of planned on it, but um, uh, well, he has his own qualities outside of uh, being able to buy jewelry, you know. Oh, of course. Yeah, and so uh, she she also looks at you and says, uh, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to talk about my uh, James all the time. I'm sure you, oh, I, I'm so surprised that you are not uh, with someone as well. You're quite a catch, you know, Marianne. Oh, you know, I've been around here and there, but uh, I've always got my eyes on a prize I can't have. <laughs> uh, as you say that you've been around here and there, more couples in the park just kind of like stare at you in either loving or hating ways. And you say after something that you can't have and Arabella looks at you a bit confused. I don't quite understand. What do you mean by that? I'm going to... Marianne grabs her hand and mm-hmm. looks deeply into her eyes. Mm-hmm. I... And... Just as you're about to hopefully get something off of your chest, 
a man comes up and says, Darling, uh, there you are. Uh, yes, um, I managed to um, uh, keep your parents at bay for some time this uh, Christmas. Uh, this is, of course, James Taylor, uh, who has come to retrieve his uh, Arabella. Uh, we really must be going uh, now. I, I gave you as much time as you I could uh, to meet with your little uh, uh, friend here. Was it Ma... Me? Mer Marlowe? Marianne. Mer yes, that's right. That's right. That's right. Um, yes, uh, we really, really must be going. Uh, and Arabelle says, oh, I'm so sorry. She, you were just about to tell me. So we'll have to catch up later. I promise we'll catch up later. Stop in any time. Yeah. We love seeing your face at the bookstore. Mm -hmm. She kind of sees what might be a little tear forming in your eyes a little bit. It absolutely is a tear. She offers you her little handkerchief and says like, uh, here, you might have something in your eye. Here, do you want to take that with you? And uh, well, you can just return it whenever. It doesn't matter. Or keep it. It's, uh, I must be going. And then <clears throat> flashback to present moment. You hit the ghost of Christmas past. It instills in you a memory of your own past as it once again vanishes uh, using its reaction to go invisible yet again. Poof. <laughs> Even though it just came back, it still has a reaction to go right back invisible. But a third room lights up on the ground. This time in the clock position, it would be the number three. So that is that. A lot of stuff happens every time you hit this little ghosty. Uh, the ghost is once again invisible. Oh, uh, I'm going to use my bonus action to give Kensington Bardic inspiration. Excellent. Okay. I'm like a uh, tears rolling down my cheek and I'm like, you hit that bastard. Fantastic. So uh, once again, I'm sorry, Kensington, the ghost is invisible and hard to hit. I'm going to run over to the three o'clock position on the clock. Amazing. And try to whack at it. <laughs> <laughs> you whack at the rune on the ground. Nothing seems to happen. But as you step there in the first place... You step there, the light ping, lights up further. Uh, as these runes light up, they only flash for a couple seconds, but with you standing on it, it has fully glowed. It's glowing, it's staying glowing, and... Okay, so I'm going to investigate that. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Roll me an investigation check, please. That is... I can do math 16. With you stepping on these runes, on this specific rune... It is glowing orange, and only when you're standing on it do you really see this effect, but the kind of light and energy that's kind of emanating forth is not moving so much upward, but in kind of a direction. And with, uh, with that investigation check, I will say that you for sure know that standing on this rune does not hurt you. It seems like it gives you a little bit more insight into how this ghost works but it would be hard to know without you know you're a scientific man without stepping on the other runes or having others right. step on the other runes it would be hard to know what the full effect of this is so i'm going to yell out to the others and just say try to light some of them up as well i i don't can't figure out where this devil's going Excellent. Would you like to do anything else? Hold an action or? I'm still uh, holding an attack action. <laughs> oh, you're still holding? You're doing uh, awesome. Fantastic. I mean, like, yeah, just if this dude tries to step to me, I definitely want to hit him. Um, Amazing. Cool. That's your turn. We're moving to Sister Marguerite. 
Were they just right, like right in front of me? They were next to Marianne when they disappeared. I will say where the ghost was vibrating uh, after Marianne hit it was a little bit up the clock face. It kind of just zips away from people when it gets hurt. So it is not near someone right now. I believe I am near the six and the six did not light up. So I would like to go stand on the six and then as a bonus action, I'm going to cast, I'm going to cast branding smite on myself or on my rapier. Um, And so for up to a minute, the next time I hit a creature with this weapon, uh, it'll get extra damage and it will be unable to become invisible. And so I'm going to hold a reaction that if it comes within five feet of me, that I am going to hit it. Cool. But also I'm standing on the six. You're standing on the six. All right. So you use you, you use some of your movement to stand on the six and then you cast this thing on your rapier and hold, wait for an attack on the six. Uh, as you step on the six, uh, all of the runes are already glowing. They have been glowing since the start of this battle. Uh, but the one, but... Uh, the six that did not light up more when the when the ghost was hit does not light up in the same way that it did when Kensington stepped on the three and it lit up even further. So if that makes sense. So basically everything's already glowing. You stepping on the six doesn't have the same reaction as Kensington stepping on the three. Uh, it feels like nothing to you. Yeah, then I'm just holding my action if it comes close to me. Okie dokie. This is the ghost's turn. The ghost is going to turn its attention away from Marianne and it is going to instead focus on the one person who seems to be a little bit too clever for this battle and it zip zaps appears right in front of Kensington Chalet. Kensington, you've got an attack readied. I do. So this ghost is going to pop in and be like, you step away from that and then you swing at it. That's a 21. To hit, X to hit, yeah. 21 to hit. Hits, absolutely hits. And that's, uh, math is hard. That's a 13. 13 doesn't, 13. The, 13 doesn't, but the 21 okay. for sure 21 does. 21 does. Okay. I'm going to give it a, a D8 plus three. Uh, it's eight total damage that I'm going to do to it. And I'm guessing I'm going to be transported back to the past. Whoa, you're astute. You hit the ghost. And inside of your mind, as your uh, staff connects with it, a memory appears in your head. Kensington, this is a couple of years ago at a Christmas feast at Whiskerville Hall, home of the wealthy Whiskervilles. Uh, Kensington Chalet is a world-renowned uh, detective who has solved many high-profile cases. High-profile High-profile cases, including the horrific death of Sir Charles Whiskerville that uh, seemed to be caused by a uh, terrifying feral cat creature. But uh, I think Kensington knows that there's no such thing as supernatural monsters. Uh, So you are at this dinner party and uh, a relative of uh, one of the Whiskervilles is like, "Um, is it true that you solved my my uncle's murder? I heard it was a a terrifying uh, feral uh, cat who had uh, uh, attacked him. No, you see, at the end of the day, it just turned out to be one of your other family members that was in search of part of Mr. Whiskerville's fortune and wanted to sort of shuffle him off his moral coil a little bit <gasps> earlier in life. Scared the man 
to death with this apparition of this feral cat and unfortunately I was not able to prevent him from passing but I was able to find out yes. and pry a confession out of this man you uh, I that is remarkable I, I I mean I look forward to reading all about it and uh, as your assistant types it up uh, uh, the, yes. the, the yes. Must tell him to stop doing that <laughs> Uh, I look forward to reading The the Kittens of of the Whiskervilles. That's a good title for that one. Um, Yes, uh, so it seems like dinner shall be uh, served here shortly, and um, Kensington uh, cannot resist making any and everything into a game to feed his addiction. So, So, oh, yes, uh, yeah, go for it. I'm just going to say to this man, well, um, See, I, I'm not entirely sure about that. Would you like to make a wager on how long it's going to take? How long it's going to take for dinner to get ready? Yes. You want to bet on that? Okay. Would, um, yes. Just, okay. you know, a few pounds uh, here and there. Just can never hurt. Sure, uh, really just sh- make a little bit of light sport out of... Out sure, of uh, we don't... I mean, I guess. I guess. Um, uh, sure. I mean... Uh, I mean, I, I do have to finish early anyway uh, to to go uh, uh, eat and, and whatever. Uh, I don't suppose you want to wager on um, if you want to <laughs> eat faster than me as well, right? I would never turn down that wager. Okay, so you're this is who you are then. Okay, um, <laughs> you you have made everyone at this party increasingly uncomfortable with turning everything into a betting game, and. Uh, <laughs> that's where we leave that memory flash back to the present. Uh, you've just smacked this ghost. So I it- hit this thing and I am, I just want to make it clear. I am paying careful attention to everything that happens. Absolutely. Next. You hit, you hit this thing. This ghost does not, the rune that you're standing on does really nothing special that it's, de- that it hasn't been doing already. Okay. If you're standing on it. But you are f- free. Anyone really who's who's witnessing this is free to make an insight check as to anything that's happening right now to get a little I bit more info. I am going to do that. Absolutely. I am not going to do that. Absolutely <laughs> not. <That's, laughs> well, Could with my... Even with dis- disadvantage, I got a 15. Woo! No, 16. Yeah, with my 17. plus three. My plus three to insight, I got a seven. Ooh. I got a natural one, so what? I don't know All what you're right. complaining about. Dice, so. dice, dice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 16, 17. Sister Marguerite, especially uh, you, because you're standing on the six, kind of trying to figure out how things are working. Uh, Tilia, because you are very knowledgeable of ghosts, you are noticing that this ghost, the ghost of Christmas past, every round of combat has had a lot of reactions, and the more that you've hit it, the less it's been able to do stuff. It hasn't been taking nearly it. You know, Kensington just hit it for a good amount of damage and every other time it's gotten hit, it's gone invisible. This time it doesn't. And it's not by choice. It's not because it decides that, oh, I got hit. I can take this. It's because it can't right now. Sister Marguerite, because you are standing on on a room uh, and making this check and did fairly good, uh, you also understand that the the kind of energy. Well, you understand that the ghost desperately wants Kensington off of that rune. He said as much. He said, "Get away from there." You understand that it is something that is very much tied to the ghost's powers in some capacity, and that's what you get. So the ghost, in its turn, is very simply going to shoot out some embers right at 
Kensington to try and get Kensington off the runes. Uh, Kensington does a 13 hit. Uh, 13 does not hit, no. Does not hit. You are steady on these runes. You're dodging and weaving uh, these embers. The ghost is so frustrated that it's that it, it, it you are hitting it for so much and it has not been able to do as much damage. It's like, I don't, I don't understand. Am I, am I doing something wrong? I mean, I'm trying to do everything <laughs> best that I can. And I just, I, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe with more planning and I, I don't even know if this would have worked on Scrooge. And, uh, My and, friend, uh, put your weapon down. I, I, I can't. It's too important. And with that, back at the top of the order with Tilia. How far am I from all the runes? You're prop. You've not really moved much because you've just been shooting a ranged weapon. So I will say you are, in my head, Tilia, Marianne, and uh, Sister Marguerite are all kind of fanned out near the bottom of the kind of clock area uh, near the six. Marguerite is on the six. One of you can be on either side. Uh, Kensington is for sure on the three. The three, yeah. All right. I would like to go stand on the nine. Run to the 12. The 12 lit up. Can I get to the 12? The 12 would take 60 feet of movement. I do not. I have 25 feet movement. There was a number. There was a, there was another number that lit up. Four was the other one, but I want the four. Oh, fair enough. You're already on the six. Six doesn't mean I anything. I want the four because huh. then I can be close enough for okay. melee range. Gotcha, gotcha. But you're close enough to him. I can't remember what class you are, him. what you do, whatever. That's Just, fine. That's yeah. fine. I'm going yeah, go to I'm gonna roll with the nine. Um, We're going to go roll with the nine. And then I'm going to do the same thing I've done all the other times and... Attack three times. Shoot it for a million <laughs> Unleash. Um, I will say, be extraordinarily careful. Kensington's on the three. The You are at the nine. The ghost is in front of Kensington. If you miss, I will have you potentially make an attack roll on Kensington. Good luck, Kensington. Uh, so what did you roll for attacks? Uh, this first one will be a 12. Uh, that misses. Oh, God. Second one's a 10. Misses as well. I will, here's, here's what I will say. I will, here's what, here's how we're going to mechanic this. If any of them miss the ghost, but still hit Kensington's AC, then it will hit Kensington. Kensington, what's your AC? 16. There's a sweet spot. Okay. There is a sweet spot. Yeah. No, not going to, not going to hit either of those times. And then the third roll was a 21. 21. 21 hits the ghost. So we're going to roll 1d6. That'll be six. Plus another 1d6, because he's still my mark. Um, that'll be 7, so 6, 7, and then I get the 1d8, and that'll be another 5. So 18. 18 total. Fantastic. You hit this ghost again, dealing some massive damage to it. Yet again, it cries out in pain and shrinks a little bit further. But this time it is not, again, not going to go invisible there's that so yeah that's gonna be marianne's turn i'm gonna look at the ghost and say oh what a chilling performance and again cast ray of frost fantastic is that just in a, a spell attack uh yes and i get a plus seven so let's hope this hits mm, mm, do it and i move 30 feet without hitting it unless a 10 hits it <laughs> a 10 does not hit it no Cool. i'm gonna start moving towards the 12 are you going like straight across, like right down the center straight of this through, thing? Yeah. Fantastic. That's that then. It is now Kensington's turn. This ghost is right in front of you. Cool. I'm going to, I am a monk. I have two attacks per action. 
So I'm just going to roll all this at one time. I have two attacks per action, and then I'm going to use Flurry of Blows. So I hit it four total times, two with the staff, two with my fist. Well, th- ostensibly, I do that. Ostensibly. I might hit it zero times. We'll see how you do. Let's roll those attack rolls. Okay. 22. Yeah, that hits. For the first weapon attack. Oh, shoot. Sorry, that dropped. That's a crit 20. Woo! For the second staff attack. That's a 22 for the first uh, oh melee attack. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, 11 plus a 19. 19. So I got a 22, a crit, another 22, and a 19. 19 exactly hits. 19 exactly hits. Thank you for the bardic you- inspiration. Thank you for my D8 for rolling max bard juice. Okay, Let's roll some so- damage. Hit me with it. How does I, I don't remember how vicious crit works, but I roll uh, two vicious, d8s. Yeah, what is the so you roll a d8? So vicious crit is you already get eight damage on top of just rolling one other thing. So my first attack uh, with the staff is four. The crit attack is eight plus four is twelve. Okay, so sixteen total. I rolled two ones on the d8s. <laughs> that was fun. And then uh, this is just with my fist, so I think I have this, but it's a d6. Uh, that's a six plus three, so nine, and a five plus three, so eight. So that is going to be eight and twelve with the stick, nine and eight with the fists. So you got thirty-seven damage. Amazing. Theoretically, but like I said, that is uh, that is part of that is just fist damage. Fist damage. Yes, it is uh, resistant to yeah non-magic things. So we'll have that. So that's a nine and an eight that get halved. So uh, so just five a and nine. Four, a nine. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. W- so this ghost stands in front of me, and Kensington is just like, "I don't want to do this, but you have left me with no choice." And he's just gonna whack him twice with the bam, bam with the sticks, and then like yes. drop the stick into one hand and punch this dude twice. All right. This ghost looks beat up like crazy. If it was possible for a ghost. To be even further on death's door. Ghosts are like walking in death's house. This ghost is like getting acquainted with death's bedroom. You know? Like, <laughs> it is... Ooh, uh, as intimate. We are getting intimate. Ooh, oh, you mean as, death are gonna go for it tonight, baby? <laughs> Once again, it shrinks in size. This time, it is just the tiniest flicker of a flame. Does anybody have a... F- normal size candle snuffer (laughs) unfortunately was not in anyone's inventory that's really good for an audio podcast for people to know what we're doing what i did was uh was uh, wet the tips of my fingers and then do a like candle snuff out motion because i'm not one of those psychopaths that does it without wetting my fingers oh like one of the bad guys in a movie okay it is now sister marguerite's turn you got this mags this thing is still visible this thing is for sure still visible it is okay beaten so like crazy. i have a question yeah. if i stand on the four the the rune at the four o'clock am i within five feet of the ghost oh boy i gotta do math on that one 60 feet across so three and then barely no okay i'm going to stand just off the four to be within five feet of it so that at the end of hitting it, if I need to or want to, I can step back onto the four. When you step back, you he they will get an opportunity attack on you. That's fine. I will take that opportunity attack. I, I Sister Marguerite has had just about enough of this <laughs> in the sexy French accent. <laughs> I have had just about enough of this merde. I am going to run forward 
and slash at him with my rapier. Don't go to dice jail. Just don't go to dice jail. Just don't do it. Oh, did I ever give you bardic? You didn't. It doesn't matter because I rolled a 14 and I get a plus five. And you said that a 19 a 19 hits. does so hit. I hit this you thing. You hit Finally. It. Yes. I also get my sneak attack because... He is within five feet of my companion. Yes. I have divine, or I have branding smite cast on my rapier, which uh, deals 2d6 radiant damage. And I don't have to do anything special for this. I'm going to cast divine, or use divine smite, uh, which isn't even a spell cast. So I could cast another smell. Oh, no, I don't need to. Um, but I'm going to burn a single spell slot to cast an X to deal an extra 2d8 damage plus an extra 1d8 damage because he is undead. So in some total, I will have 1d8 for my rapier, 1d6 for my sneak attack, 2d8 for, nope, 3d8 for the divine smite, and 2d6 for the branding smite. Horrifying. I'm more scared of that dice roll than I am of this ghost. <laughs> a seven plus a seven is 14 plus uh, another six and four is 24 plus another six is 30. 32 plus another six is 38 plus another three is 41 plus my two for the weapon-based attack, so 43 damage to this ghost on my first of two attacks. Would you like to attack again? Do I need to attack again? Uh, you do not need to. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So. As I plunge my rapier into this brat of, of a being, what do I see? You get a flashback all the way to when you were a young girl going to a Christmas service with your family. The priest reads over some scripture, a lot of words about kindness and, and you know, grace and mercy and things like that. But that really doesn't interest young Marguerite. Is that even her childhood name? We'll never know. It does not, the lessons don't appeal to you. In fact, the priest reading out the names is what appeals to you more so than anything. And you're the only person that also gets a flash forward to you are a little older, studying at a monastery, being uh, chastised by one of the nuns in the covent. Convent. Convent. What did you just say? Covent? Convent. Convent. Thank you for that correction. Yes, you're being chastised by one of the nuns in the convent. Marguerite. I do not want to hear another complaint from one of the girls uh, saying that you are going around saying that you are holier than thou. But it is not the humility that we aim to teach around here. But Mother Superior, I am more holy than the rest of the girls. Marguerite, you are not, that is not the right attitude to have this Christmas. You are not to disturb the others. This is the third time this week I had to deal with a complaint about your arrogance. How dare you? You will miss Christmas dinner tonight with the rest of us. Instead, you will stay here and read over the scriptures I have assigned you and hopefully... But that's not fair. It's not fair because you need to learn your lesson. Hopefully, 
you will learn a little bit from this. Eh? You want to be remembered, eh? That's what you keep saying? I'm just pouting, yeah. not reacting. Well, <laughs> perhaps <laughs> if you take in some of these lessons of humility, you will be remembered for something other than your smugness. And also that ridiculous English accent. No one will take you seriously with that, my darling. And she storms out. Uh, does Marguerite do anything in response to that? Or just flash forward? Actually, I was going to do something in, in response to that. So I'm going to open up my Bible and I'm going to just... The first passage that I see is, it says, From the radiance of his presence, his clouds swept onward with hail and blazing coals. And as we flash forward into the now, yes. and I hit this guy with my sword, I say... From the radiance of his presence, his clouds swept onward with hell and my blazing sword. <laughs> you stab into him. Amazing. Sister Marguerite has inserted herself into the holy word. Incredible. This ghost of Christmas past takes all of that damage from just the first attack and says. <sighs> How? How? Why would you do this to me? I, I'm just trying to teach someone a lesson about being nice. And just explodes into embers and sparks that fill the area. The runes calm down. They're no longer glowing. And in the ghost's place is a single one of those embers that doesn't disperse like the rest, but just floats gently down and hovers just about a foot off of the ground and just stays there. Can I scoop it up? Uh, you may scoop it up if you wish. Well, I blame capitalism. <laughs> this whole uh, story is a metaphor for the failings of capitalism, yeah. <laughs> as all D&D is. So yes, uh, Sister Margaret, you would like to scoop up this ember, yes? Uh, if you guys want to investigate it. Yeah, I'll like lightly touch it to see if it still burns. You uh, you touch it. It is <laughs> it is warm but it is not scorching hot. Who would like to carry it? Or grab it? Or do whatever with it? Can I put it in my bagpipes? I'm, I'm gonna look over at, at Tilia and see what she's thinking because because Tilia has experience with ghosts. Well, would you all like to take it with us? I'm going to roll an investigation check to look for the body of the guy we just killed. <laughs> um, that is a 15. Uh, for all you know, the person's uh, body fell into one of the cracks in the grounds from like the runes showing up. Probably fell uh, to their death. There's nothing much you can do about it. Damn shame that we had to do all that. I really do wish things had gone down different and that we could find his flipping corpse to bring back to this miser. Kensington, you can't seriously believe that this was anything but a ghost. You can't seriously believe that there are ghosts wandering around the English countryside causing people... Pro I don't understand whatever. <laughs> Fine. Marianne, will you grab that please and we'll get going. Grab f***ing what? <laughs> Sir, I've had enough of you. You obviously are divorced from reality. Yes, I'm the one divorced from reality because I don't believe there are ghosts flying around killing people. Well, you know, there are four of us and only one of us doesn't believe what we've seen 
I'm going to grab the coal in my hand until it is no longer hot and then wrap it in the handkerchief. So as Marianne, as you pick it up, it stays warm in your hand. It Mm -hmm. does not get any colder. It's not painful. It's just like a nice warming thing. It's a nice cold night out. This is warming up your hands quite nicely. I'm actually going to hand it to Sister Marguerite, who can't seem to handle the cold. (laughs) Uh, Sister Marguerite now has this little ever-glowing ember. So you've defeated the first ghost. Shall we return to the house of Mr. Scrooge to show him proof of this first first ghost? Did He told us that there were three, right? He did say there were three because uh, Marley told him there were three. Well, we, we very well may be on a time crunch, so it may be worth our while to just go ahead on to the next one. I tend to agree. I certainly don't want to lose the, the ember while we are fighting more ghosts, if... You can call Surely them Surely you have a pocket in that habit somewhere. Technically, not wearing not wearing it. Whatever habit, you're wearing, sure, certainly you have a pocket. Fantastic. So you pocket this uh, ever-burning ember, and as you do so, you know, the night is dark again. That was really the only light source that you all had, at least lighting up the area. And in the distance, you hear a sound coming from all directions uh first softly but it gets louder and louder with each passing moment it's steady and rhythmic as its source inches closer to you all unmistakably revealing itself to be the sound the horrifying ghostly sound of rattling chains 